and a modern patriotic Ukrainian song, a tribute to Ukraine's armed forces, Slava Nashim Zeseu. And that was performed by a children's choir from the Theater of National Folk Songs, Slovyanochka. Vitaju vas vsih šanovni radio suhači na radio peredaču naš holos radio Krinskoho Karinja na Bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misci Vancouveri pri mikrofoni Pavlina. Dobri večer and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver. I'm your host, Paulina. On this week's show, another Ukrainian food flair recipe to get you ready for the holidays, as well, Ukrainian Jewish heritage and an update on Hanukkah for 2023, a cultural capsule featuring a popular modern song and composer, as well a feature interview with Jean Berezovsky of Ukraine War Amps with Ukraine's perspective on World War I, as well our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music, and coming up next, a group from Ukraine called Kvartet Hetman, and uh, one of my favorite older patriotic Ukrainian songs, On the Hill the Reapers Are Reaping. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shochenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for the past 60 years. Since 1963, the Shochenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing artists and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nasholos listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, 
visit www.shochenkofoundation.ca. Early bird weekend passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival are now available for only $125. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August long weekend at the festival site south of Dauphin, Manitoba. Like and follow Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for ongoing updates and performer announcements. You can now purchase your weekend passes and camping passes in person or online at cnuf.ca. Мала мати сина і просила долі, щоб він мав багатства, як чиниці в полі. Хай буде воля. Ukrainian artist Andriy Zalisko with Chaibude Volya i Svoboda, Long Live Freedom. Up next, from the Nasholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. Hello. Chestnut trees abound in Ukraine, so it's not surprising that chestnuts are used in many Ukrainian dishes, sweet and savory, in combination with other vegetables and in basic bread stuffings and desserts. Tonight, I have a classic Ukrainian dish for you that is elegant and surprisingly easy to prepare and absolutely out of this world delicious. To make it even easier, purchase ready-cooked and peeled chestnuts. You can find them in most supermarkets and specialty food stores. Wedges of Savoy cabbage can be substituted for Brussels sprouts with equally delicious results. You'll need 1 cup chestnuts, 3 cups Brussels sprouts, 
three tablespoons each of butter and flour, one and a half cups chicken or beef stock, and salt to taste. Cut slits in the shell of each chestnut. Cover with boiling water and cook 20 minutes. Cool and remove shells and skins from the nuts. Slice them and set them aside. Prepare the Brussels sprouts by removing any wilted outer leaves and trimming the base. Cook them in boiling water to barely cover for about 12 minutes. Drain when done. Melt the butter, stir in the flour, and then the stock. Cook and stir constantly until the sauce thickens. Season with salt to taste. Combine the sauce, sprouts, and chestnuts, and simmer for 10 minutes to blend flavors. Garnish with a half a cup browned, buttered breadcrumbs. This recipe serves six. So try it. It's Ukrainian, and you'll find it in our new cookbook, coming out soon. This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nasholos Audio Archives. Up next, the Sobotenko Band with another patriotic Ukrainian song, A Mother's Message to Her Son, Senukochke Lityat. The ducks are flying, my son. No sviton kumatis povivalasina Čas koli Jewish Heritage on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio, discovering unknown and untold stories from the past and present of Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage. Hanukkah is a joyous holiday celebrated every year by Jews around the world with the lighting of candles on a candelabra called a menorah, or Hanukkiah, in modern Hebrew. 
Hanukkah is Judaism's festival of lights, and Jews gather with family and friends on eight consecutive nightfalls to light one additional candle in the menorah. This year, Hanukkah began on the evening of Wednesday, December 7th, and ends on the evening of Friday, December 15th. Traditional Hanukkah treats include potato latkes, called pliatske or derune in Ukrainian, and suvkaniat, donuts with jam, called pampushke in Ukrainian. There's also a tradition to give Hanukkah gelt, which is coins, and more recently gifts, to children. And there is a special Hanukkah dreidel game. A dreidel is a top, or dziga in Ukrainian. Hanukkah is actually a relatively minor Jewish holiday. There are no religious restrictions on work, other than a few minutes after lighting the candles. In North America, however, as a symbol of Jewish identity, Hanukkah has become a more prominent holiday, largely due to its proximity on the calendar to Christmas. As a result, in this part of the world, Hanukkah has integrated several Christmas-related customs, in particular extensive gift-giving and Hanukkah parties. The lit menorah is displayed in windows or at the doors of Jewish houses during the festival, alongside neighboring Christmas lights. In Ukraine during Soviet times, it was a very different story. Judaism could not be practiced freely under the atheist regime. In fact, it was dangerous to do so. The communist regime banned the menorah, so it became a forbidden religious item. Yet observant Jews managed to keep the tradition secretly. Even Jews in Soviet prisons and concentration camps, or gulags, stubbornly sought a way to observe Hanukkah. If they couldn't find candles or a vessel to fill with oil, they made Hanukkah lights out of half a potato with sunflower oil and wicks out of cotton. Hanukkah commemorates the victory of the Maccabees over the Syrians in 165 B.C. Antiochus, a powerful ruler in Syria at the time, tried to take out the culture and religion of tinier neighboring Judea. But his forces were improbably held off by the Jewish Maccabee fighters. The Syrian invaders tried to make Jews renounce their God and turn to idolatry, and defiled the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. An integral part of the temple service was keeping the light of golden menorah candles burning all the time. Only high-quality olive oil, produced by priests in ritual purity, was acceptable to be used for these candles. The tradition tells us that when the temple was recaptured by the Jews, only one small vessel of consecrated oil was found, enough for just one day. The oil was immediately lit and, miraculously, it sufficed for eight days until new oil was prepared. Jewish sages established Hanukkah as a festival for this length of time to commemorate the miracle and the triumph against religious oppression. It's interesting to note that the menorah lit at Hanukkah is different from the temple menorah, which has seven branches. The Hanukkah menorah has eight. According to the late Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, there is a significance to these differences. The number seven represents the natural order of the world, as reflected in the seven days of creation and the seven days of the week. Eight represents a step beyond nature, the supernatural, the transcendent. Because the temple was a holy place, the seven lights of the menorah were enough to light up the temple and the world around it. Nowadays, there is more spiritual darkness in the world, so we need to reach beyond the limitations of nature and tap into a higher level of holiness in order to illuminate the darkness outside. The eight lights of Hanukkah menorahs, burning into the night, transform the world into a godly, light-filled place. So today, as in years past, lighting the menorah is the essence of celebrating Hanukkah. Every Hanukkah night, Jewish families around the world get together to light the menorahs with oil to commemorate the miracle of the temple or just with the usual candles. Each night of the festival, an additional candle is lit until on the last night, eight candles are burning. In Ukraine, after its hard-won independence in 1991, Jews were able to celebrate holidays freely again, including Hanukkah. Menorahs were lit in public areas across the country, brightening up the dreariness of midwinter. And in 2020, Ukraine declared Hanukkah an official public holiday. 
But last year, with its war of aggression against Ukraine, Russia has once again made it difficult, if not dangerous, for Jews to celebrate Hanukkah. Power blackouts and curfews due to Russian shelling made outdoor candlelighting gatherings particularly dangerous. So once again, as in Soviet times, many Hanukkah celebrations were driven underground. Yet, as with the first Hanukkah, last year there were miracles amidst the horrors of war in Ukraine. Hanukkah candles turned out to be a lifeline in the midst of power outages caused by Russian shelling. A miracle menorah was recovered in Mariupol in the rubble of a synagogue completely destroyed by Russian bombs. The menorah was kept lit throughout Hanukkah by a local Ukrainian Orthodox Christian. Local and diaspora Jewish organizations helped tens of thousands of Jews celebrate Hanukkah amidst blackouts and shelling. These included a group of 26 Chabad Yeshiva students sent to Ukraine to help locals celebrate Hanukkah, holding public menorah lightings and bringing menorah kits, donuts, subganiyat, and a warm smile to homebound Jews suffering because of the war. And some defiantly gathered in Independence Square in the capital city of Kiev for the lighting of the first candle of what local Jewish leaders say is Europe's tallest menorah. This year, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky celebrated the start of Hanukkah on December 7th in the presidential palace in Kiev. He was joined by Chabad Lubavitch rabbis representing Jewish communities large and small throughout Ukraine. Once again, Ukraine's Jews are refusing to let the darkness of war and the world around them dim the light that is the miracle of Hanukkah. I'm Pavlina, producer and host of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Until next time, Shalom. Hanukkah Sameach. Happy Hanukkah. Join us again soon for another episode of Ukrainian Jewish Heritage here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Hanukkah o Hanukkah in Yiddish. Up next, Helena Kureshko and Maxim Berishnyuk with Rozvevaisya Suhi Dube, a song about going off to battle. Да сухий дуби завтра мороз буде. Ой, собирайся, молодий козачі, завтра покід буде. Ой, собирайся, молодий козачі, завтра покід буде. Ой, я морозу дай не боюся за. Я боюся, зараз оберуся. А я погоду, дай не боюся, зараз оберуся. 
Slušajte radio programu Naš holos radio Krinskoho Korinja. Pri mikrofoni Pavlina. You're listening to Naš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm Pavlina. Early bird weekend passes for Canada's National Ukrainian Festival are now available for only $125. Don't miss the very best in Ukrainian culture, food, music, and dancing on August long weekend at the festival site south of Dauphin, Manitoba. Like and follow Canada's National Ukrainian Festival on Facebook for ongoing updates and performer announcements. You can now purchase your weekend passes and camping passes in person or online at cnuf.ca. Since 2014, Toronto-based Ukraine War Amps has been helping wounded Ukrainian veterans and the families of the fallen in Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine. Jean Berezovsky, co-founder of Ukraine War Amps, has been keeping us here at Nasholos updated on their efforts to help Ukrainian defenders and survivors of this brutal war. He joins us again for another update. Hi, Jean. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. It's always my pleasure to be here with you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, um, last time we had sort of touched on in a previous interview, and we didn't really get a chance to to dive into it, and that is simply that, you know, history is repeating itself with this war. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess uh, our last talk was uh, more uh, concentrated on events in Israel. Right. And uh, probably today we, we can make a transition and go back uh, to Ukraine and about uh, November, December events in Ukraine in uh, 1918, which is uh, right. very important for situation today. It's reflected yeah. in our situation today. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, we just a few weeks ago uh, commemorated the end of the war in 1918 with Remembrance Day and for the rest of the world, Great war ended. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I just want to uh, ask uh, you, Paulette, and maybe your listeners, our listeners, if we talk about uh, or if we say World War One, what uh, European country we are think of uh, uh, in the first place? Well, Germany, Great Britain, Germany, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Great Britain. Okay. So, uh, yeah, basically, after Germany, you moved even uh, more, uh, or even more on the West, yeah? And uh, today, uh, because uh, we are definitely want to concentrate on Ukraine and talk about Ukraine, I just want to kind of introduce World War One from Ukraine's perspective. Yeah, yeah, because a big part of World War One really was there was a collapse of empires, the Austro-Hungarian Empire collapsed, the Russian Empire collapsed, the Ottoman Empire collapsed, right? And but yet, as you say, the in the West we think of, of as as Germany and Western Europe, 
Yeah, and you know, whatever you mentioned, it's so right. And also, that was essentially a start of World War One in Ukraine, yeah. only where Russian Empire and Austrian Empire clashed together. Yeah. That was actually land of Ukraine nowadays. Yeah. My, and the yeah. uh, front line back then in 1914 was in a Western Ukraine. And uh, kind of in a similar way, we have a front line in a Eastern Ukraine today. Yeah. That uh, situation moved and if you want want to say like center or gravity moved towards east and Lviv no more under Russian occupation but Donetsk is yeah and back then that's very interesting point because back then in event of 1914 in the Russian army over 3 million Ukrainians were fighting the Austrian army, which included at least quarter million Ukrainians. Yeah. And that's where World War One began. And that's the lesson for us today. When it began in Western Ukraine, no one thought it going to be a World War One. No one thought it going to be yeah. World War Two. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, announced as a great war to end all wars. Right. But no one thought that that conflict, two armies clashes in Western Ukraine, gonna spill over, not in the summer 1914. So that's what I want to emphasize, that Ukraine was unfortunately in the heart or in the bottom of World War One. It was not Germany and definitely not the UK. Where everything started, it was Ukraine. And perhaps they thought it's going to be limited to that area. <laughs> that sounds... Or, or, yeah. But here's another question relevant today. Why Russia started that suicidal war? Yeah. The Russian Tsar was killed in 1919 or 17. something like that. 1917. No, no, yeah. he was, no, he wasn't killed. He or two later, yeah. Okay. But he was in prison with his family. Right. But they were alive to Lenin order to kill him. So essentially, Tsar's order to start a war was suicidal for his regime, yeah. for entire empire. Yeah. Why would he do that? Now we need to go back to those times and see what was going on in Ukraine, because that's where it all started. And Ukraine under Russian occupation back then, Ukrainian language forbidden. Mm -hmm. Ukrainian culture essentially forbidden. And when we look at the Austrian side, just across the river, you see that uh, Lviv University lecturing in Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. You see that uh, since uh, Austria came to those territory, Ukrainian language never been forbidden. Books were uh, printed mm -hmm. and uh, schools even university were open in Ukrainian. Mm -hmm. We see certain levels of autonomy for Ukrainians in that part. And moreover, Lviv was the capital of Galicia, Bohemia kingdom. Mm -hmm. And that kingdom was essentially a, a part of Kievan Rus. Yes. And Galicia, Bohemia kingdom, that's essentially Ruthenian or Ukrainian statehood mm -hmm. that existed for a millennia since uh, Trent Volodymyr, from times of uh, Volodymyr and uh, King Daniel. The 10th century, yeah. Yeah. So essentially, Lviv and uh, Galicia, they were part of Kiev and Rus, and they existed all the way till November the 1st, 1918, or November the 1st, which is Remembrance Day today, yeah. when... Austrian Empire stopped existing. So essentially when central Ukraine was looking towards West, they saw their brothers and sisters living relatively in uh, liberty. Moreover, Ukrainian church back in Galicia was equalized with Roman church. Yes. 
Yeah, so it was no, no, no question. Ukrainian language, culture, church, everything was green light. Mm-hmm. So that one of the major sparks for the World War One. Before the war got to Germany, before it got to the UK, France, Belgium, etc. Mm-hmm. That was major motivation for Russian regime to start the war. As always, they look to the West, they see first president of uh, Ukraine, Mikhailo Grushevsky. He was a professor at mm-hmm. Lviv University. Mm-hmm. He lived in Lviv for 20 years. Moreover, he published and edited Ukrainian newspapers, magazines, etc. He was the head of many educational initiatives in Lviv. Why? Because he couldn't do it in Kiev. Huh. He graduated university in Kiev, but he couldn't work. As a Ukrainian historian, he couldn't work in central Ukraine because of Russia. He couldn't publish his books. His book was the book, History of Ukraine Rus. Yes. So for Russia, Russia always gonna have that Ukrainian question. Yeah. And Russia has only one answer for that Ukrainian question. That answer includes Holodomor and all other disasters, the genocide, essentially. Yeah, they couldn't get Ukraine to stay voluntarily because they had nothing to offer Ukraine. And they wouldn't let them leave, like a battered wife. They wouldn't let Ukraine go and prosper, and yet they wouldn't help Ukraine help themselves to prosper. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but it doesn't seem to have changed much over history. Yeah. I spoke to people from one village in western Ukraine. They call Russians Moscali, Moscovites. Right. Say, uh, first coming of Moscovites, and then... Uh, World War Two, they call it the uh, second coming of Moscovite. Oh, really? But wow. World War One, that's essentially first time when Western Ukrainians saw a Russian occupation force. Uh huh. So, so a century later, uh, and people, the rest of the world, one does that doesn't know this history wonders why are Ukraine's fighting so fiercely against Russia? Yeah. I want to emphasize, and again, it's uh, all this very relevant today. Russia started that game. Mm-hmm. No one touched Russia. Russia unprovokedly mm-hmm. started World War One, opening that front line in Western Ukraine. And Russian Tsar regime was only after the beginning of the war. They kept uh, on running for two and a half years before Tsar was gone. So in uh, February 1917, the regime, Russian regime collapsed and uh, provisional government came to power. And provisional government in uh, early 1917, in March essentially, had to recognize autonomy of Ukraine. And Central Rada, the first Ukrainian parliament, Mm -hmm. was created in March 1917. So essentially, since 1970, early 1917 uh, in Ukraine, we got a very interesting situation where essentially Ukraine People Republic takes its uh, roots. And Western Ukraine, we still have uh, Lviv as the capital of uh, Galicia right. till November the 1st. Uh-huh. And November the 1st is actually last day of uh, Principality of uh, Galicia, Volhynia, which is what left from uh, Kiev and Rus. Last day of that Principality is the first day of Western Ukrainian People Republic. Oh, so, ah, they are the inheritors of the Galicia Volin Pipe. Essentially, essentially. Wow. And then and then we have uh, two months after, in January, Western Ukrainian People's Republic and Central Ukraine reunite. Yes. And that re- reunion we can see today. 
You know, I was just thinking that as you were talking about that, the the split between uh, Ukraine being ruled by the Austro-Hungarian Empire, the other part of Ukraine being ruled by Russia, and all kinds of political cultural differences. And yet, in 1918, 1919, Ukraine were united. Just as now, Putin has united Ukrainians, Eastern and Western Ukrainians, like never seen before. Yeah, uh, you know, we all have different opinions, yeah? Everyone, every family, uh, every village, every principality, oblast, it's slightly Mm -hmm. different, dialect, uh, culture, like dresses. Uh-huh. But that's what we call uh, diversity, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. That, that diversity, it's nothing else. Exactly. It's, uh, yeah. it's a beauty of uh, the culture. Well, yes. I mean, it's the differences that make it interesting, but yet there's, there's that unity underneath that ties it all together. You know, like uh, our community, every September, we're marching through streets of Toronto within a Ukrainian festival. Oh, yes. We all are different people with different opinions, but we march together. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's always huge. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I just wanted, you know, in our brief discussion, just to bring our attention how centric Ukraine was for the World War One. And if ever we look into World War Two, we'll see the same situation. Yeah. If you remember, World War Two started war in in Western Ukraine when uh, Russian occupied Lviv again, and uh, German uh, went uh, all the way to to Brest and Lviv as well. Where's Sudetenland? I thought that was like Czechoslovakia or something. Yeah, Czechoslovakia happened a year before in uh, 38 and uh, technically we don't uh, consider it part of the world war ii and yeah. isn't that interesting mm-hmm. yet yeah, people people say that that's what started it was when when germany occupied sudetenland much like putin annexed crimea in 2014 yeah yeah exactly exactly wow yeah Crazy. i just wanted to bring our attention back to the event that happened in the beginning and in the middle in the end of world war one and how similar it is to what's happening today and how suicidal it was for Russian Empire. It was, and here's the thing, is the West didn't support Ukraine then and World War II happened. hundred percent. Yeah, and the West, yeah, and after World War II, the West didn't support Ukraine. They let, they threw Ukraine uh, under the bus, let Stalin take over, and then the Soviet Union happened, then it collapsed in 89, and in 94, they bullied Ukraine into giving their nukes up to Russia. They're surprised 20 years later that Russia's invaded Ukraine. What's wrong with these people? You know? Yeah. So, so we're we kind of going in circles. Yeah. And so so the, the, the people that really suffer, didn't want it, had nothing to do with it, are not causing it, but yet they're the ones suffering. And you're picking up the slack. You're helping as much as you can. Yeah, and we ask everyone who, who want to join us and who want to help, welcome. Again, we run in since 2014, 2015, we run in very successful programs, Adopt a Soldier, where you help in particular Ukrainian wounded veterans, and I Care program, where you can help a family who lost their breadwinner in a war and children of war. And nowadays, we added Save Ukraine program. Save Ukraine program, it's a humanitarian aid for refugees, for Ukrainian families and children who left essentially homeless. Mm-hmm. And we do little things. Just recently, we purchased 250 pairs of shoes for children of Marienka. Marienka is nothing left out of Marienka. Yeah. But those children, and we've been in touch with those children for years right now, they are essentially locally displaced people. Right. They refugees inside Ukraine. Yeah, so we bought 250 pairs of shoes. We bought shoes now, winter shoes for elderly people, old people evacuated from Marienka. Again, those people, they were hiding in their basements for weeks and months, and not all of them survived. But many of them found and evacuated and they left with nothing. So we do little things like that. Mm -hmm. We help uh, volunteers in Ukraine, our representatives in Ukraine, 
we help uh, buy food and deliver food to the front line. Mm-hmm. So we help with money for gas and money for food, stuff like that. I shipped myself, I bought uh, myself here in Canada thermal socks, two boxes, because the winter is coming and the winter is uh, very harsh in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. So a lot of ways to help. We just need people who, who is willing to help. Yeah. And uh, help anything like $5 helps because mm-hmm. even $5 can buy them four liter of gas or one pair of uh, thermal stocks, etc. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we really need support from everyone uh, and every penny counts. Yeah. So how can people reach you? The easiest way is you can Google Ukraine war amps. You can find uh, a website and a lot of uh, materials about us, including this uh, radio show, I believe. And uh, our website, ukrainewaramps.ca. You can send us a donation on uh, PayPal. uh, Each answer works to email address ukrainewaramps at gmail.com I said again Ukraine war amps at gmail.com that's the email address you can use write as a question or uh, if you're doing donation PayPal or e-transfer that's the email you need that's great and you're also on Facebook correct F- Facebook page every day updated okay Facebook Instagram Twitter of okay. course have, have yeah. to yeah and okay. everything I told it's there if you open it, you're going to see every two days you have an update. Okay. Yeah, and that's for 10 years. Yeah. You can uh, browse back for years and you're going to find everyday new information. Jean, you're doing amazing work. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, it's, it, is, it is heartwarming as well as it's heart-wrenching that you have to do it, but it's it's heartwarming that you are doing it. So thank you. And thank you to everyone that's helped you so far. And I hope that more people will come on board to help and in, in helping, hopefully, somehow put an end to this horrible war and stop history from continuing to re- repeat itself in Ukraine to the detriment of the rest of the world. Yeah, thank you, Paulette. Uh, we, uh, you know, united we stand. Yeah. Slava Ukraini. Hello, I'm Vasily Pelosky, and this is Cultural Capsule for Nasholas. The exploration of new topics for this segment has become easier due to social media. It was through a post I shared that Pavlina, the host of Nasholas, suggested I do a KC on this song. First, the backstory about how Namulyu Minyinich, Paint Me the Night, came about when Mikola Petrenko wrote it at his poem while visiting the studio of Teodosia Brizh. Brizh lived and worked in Lviv and created more than 200 sculptures, including memorial monuments on the graves of a number of well-known Ukrainian cultural figures. During that same visit to Brizh's studio, artist Henrietta Levitska was present and was painting, and for some reason Petrenko was inactive. It all happened before some party. Fana, that's what they call Theodosia, was still sculpting something. Henrietta Levitska was painting, and I was feeling melancholic. Fana threw it at me. Why are you moping around doing nothing? Better write a poem for Harry and I, recalled Mikola Petrenko regarding the writing of this poem. It was not long after he showed the poem to composer Miroslav Skorik that the later composed the music to what would become an extremely popular song in Soviet Ukraine in the genre of performing arts known as estrada. The song was recorded by Skorik's ensemble called Veseli Skripke, Merry Violins, which he drew together from a group of students and faculty members of the Lviv Conservatory. And it was sang by Lyubov Tchaikovska in its first public performance in 1963. This song was regularly played on Soviet Ukrainian radio. Here is that version, in its remastered version from this year. Mm-hmm. 
Today I introduce to you the creator of the poem, Namaluy Meninich, Paint Me the Night, Mikola Petrenko, and the music written by Miroslav Skorik. In my next cultural capsule, we will learn about a different melody to the same poem that was created in my hometown of Montreal. Thank you for listening to Nasholos, and do pobacinia. Thank you, Vassel. We'll be looking forward to part two of this story. Nahadi Yvisukhita Radio Prahamu Nash Holos Radio Krinskoho Karinya, Nabahatumovni Radio Stansi AM Trinatia Dvatsi at CHMB Umisci Vancouveri, Nijam Evjeskinchela Nashu Prahamu, Vjechastu Domovis Kazate Dobabachinia, Alla Peritim, Semoslavame Mudrostea. Niste Daisia Toho, Stupohodit is Rodu Tvoho. And our proverb of the week translates as, Don't be ashamed of your ancestors. And that brings us to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on AM 1320 CHMB. Just a reminder that the Nanaimo edition of Nash Holos can be heard in the Vancouver listening area on CHLY 101.7 FM Wednesdays at 11 a.m. If you miss our on-air or live stream broadcast, you'll find the podcast link at our website, www.nashholos.com. Well, our time is about up, so to take us to the end of our program, the By Request Band and the In the Barn Polka. I'm Pavlina, on behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM1320, thanks for listening and Dobranich!
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.